before we begin, uh, we would like to first extend our deepest condolences to Cassius, the Winston family, and to anyone who was affected by the tragic loss of Zachary Winston. It's a tough one. Um, out of respect for the family's wishes for privacy, we're not going to go into the details of his death, but just ask that if anyone out there is struggling, to reach out to those around them. And to anyone who notices that someone is struggling, maybe you've noticed that they may become more withdrawn or something is off, just be there for them. Be kind to each other. Remember that life is precious and tell those around you that you love and appreciate them. And um, there are resources out there to call or text if you're struggling or just need someone to talk to. Um, the Crisis Text Line is a resource and also the Suicide Hotline. Absolutely. Um, and with that said, hello everyone. Uh, this is the Zero Dark Party Podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Jason, and of course I'm joined as always by... Hi, I'm Tara. Uh, it's November 13th. Um, we do have a number of important things to discuss today. It was a pretty eventful weekend. Pretty un- un- unfortunately eventful weekend. Yes. Um, obviously, we, we open with that. Um, and I think we should go right away into the basketball game that immediately followed. Um, yeah. It almost Sunday felt night. pretty trivial, but... It, it was a trivial game. I mean, we Michigan State played Binghamton. It was a... Uh, one of the worst D1s op- opponents will probably face this year. Yeah. Yeah, this game was decided in uh, about three minutes in, but... And having um, our, you know, Mich- um, Tom Izzo mentioned that they played with broken hearts against Binghamton. Mm-hmm. And I think that was important to mention that they're playing with heartache and not to ignore it or, you know, they pushed through it and, you know, they won 100 to 47. It's pretty lopsided. It was never really in doubt. Yeah. And everyone who was eligible played in this game. So there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, players to talk about. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we had, at one point we had three coaches' sons on the floor at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's pretty special. Yeah. So. Well, first off, I just want to kind of shout out Cassius. Um, obviously, the strength that he showed to play in this game was pretty incredible. Absolutely. And he played a great game. It, typical Cassius, but I obviously, I think we all were hoping he hit every shot he took that night. Um, it, it was it was poetic that his first play was that really nice looking assist, and then he did it. He that, had some dimes in the he first did, half. He did hit his first shot, too, and you, you just kind of knew from right there. That it was going to be, it was going to be. It was a, a really emotional night, night, though, at the Brez. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a moment of silence for Zachary in the beginning of the game, mm. and I know that, like, there was not a single sound in that entire arena. No. And no, uh, we all love Cassius, and it was really, I think, if we're going to take a positive out of anything, it was how much the community embraced Cassius and his family. Mm-hmm. His family was at the game, and you know, the support that was shown was really reminds me of how much I love this Michigan State community. Mm-hmm. And kind of how much this team is is really a family. Absolutely, a they all were um, really close with um, Zachary as well. Mm-hmm. I think of at the end of the press game post conference. Oh my gosh, I butchered that. Um, Xavier Tillman and Kyle Arns were the ones that were speaking, and they both said that they viewed him as a brother, Zachary. So he was always around the team a lot, and you know he was always viewed as someone who's smiling and laughing and joking around and. It just kind of goes to show that sometimes you don't ever know what people are going through. And mm. even if they may appear to be really happy, um, depression can come in many different forms. And, you know, just check up on those that you love. Mm. So, uh, Just getting into some stats. Uh, like I say, we put up 100 points. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a lot of impressive numbers here. Uh, obviously, Cassius with a double-double. Uh, 17 points, 11 assists. Um, we had... Tillman also with a team high seventeen points, eight assists, two 
or eight rebounds, two assists. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Henry showed up 16 points. Uh, Aaron two Henry rebounds, is so assists. important to this team. Very, very important, definitely. Yeah. Uh, when he's shooting well, look out. Um, and he shot well. Definitely uh, an He shot well on Sunday. He was five for six from the field. Uh, made both of his three-pointers. Uh, made all of his free throws. So, uh, definitely an X-Factor. Also had four steals, uh, which is a fun wrinkle to his game that I think we're going to see a lot more of He's this so year. fast. And um, um, I just really want to shout out two players, uh, Marcus Bingham being the first one. Yes. At one point, he was actually outscoring Binghamton, mm-hmm. uh, 9-5, to five, which I thought was pretty fun. Um, he ends this game with 13 points. He's He was the highest scorer from the bench. Which is pretty notable. Boards, yeah. And, um, you know, he just continues to really impress me on defense, especially. Because mm. I think that that was a weakness that we all kind of looked at going into the season. We always knew he could shoot. Um, but his defense was a big question mark, considering how skinny he is. And he's really used his body well. He's used his size well. Especially if he gets beat off the dribble. He uses his size to kind of make up for that with that long wingspan. Um, the second player I kind of want to shout out is Thomas Kithier. Yes. Um, Kithier played 20 minutes in this game and had 10 points, and he went 5 for 5 from the field, which tells me Cassius was really setting Thomas up in good spots, and Kithier is really good around the basket. He was. He finds himself open somehow every game, mm. and him and Cash just have a really good chemistry together, so They're I working. really want to shout out Kithier. A lot of these guys on the team have a really, really solid chemistry. Um, yes. One play that I wanted to shout out... Um, Foster Lawyer, you know, wasn't able to put any points on the board, but there were mm-hmm. two assists he got during his uh, his time running point. Um, and one of them was probably the earth shook, I feel like, <laughs> when that dunk happened. Oh he threw my that alley up to, up to Julius Marble, and oh my goodness. Julius is a dog. He is a dog, and the earth shook when that, when that came down. Um, that was a, a, a real nice highlight, and it was good to see those guys get extended time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and actually work together. And yeah, sure, it's Binghamton, but... Uh, it was they... good to see guys play. I mean, we saw Braden Burke get two minutes. Bro- Brock Washington got two minutes. Those are guys that hardly ever see the floor, so... Yeah, you got to see, you know, Hoiberg, Connor George. Uh, Steven Nizzo got his time in there, too. So it was um, cool to see that. Um, yeah. Those are guys that hardly ever leave the bench, and to give them a little bit of shine, even if it's two minutes, that's pretty good for them, so... Mm-hmm. Um, I want to shout out, because you mentioned a play by Foster, I want to mention one of the passes Cassius made in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, he did this one-handed pass across the court to a striding Rocket Watts, and it was honestly a dime. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how he did that. Like, he barely just looked up and just flicked this ball underhanded, one-handed, just unreal pass. Mm-hmm. And it just shows, again, just how amazing Cassius is and... We're just so fortunate to have him in this program, both on and off the court. I think even off the court is more important than on the court. So, yeah. um, tell us about uh, some other news, Jason. Yeah, uh, like I say, overall very strong performance by the basketball team. Looking forward to the Seton Hall game. Um, we do have team captains that have been named. Yes. Um, there are four this year. Four. Okay. Uh, we tell have, me. We have, we have Kyle Lawrence. Yes. We have Cash Swinston. Yep. Xavier Tillman. Absolutely. And Joshua Langford. Not a whole lot of surprises. Not a whole lot of surprises there at all. Um, with, with Langford especially, you got to have that senior representation. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Cash. Same with Cash, obviously, but, you, you know, with the injury, you know, it's and, good to have him on the bench. And you want to see Xavier being in there, being that he's going to be, you know, one of the big contributors on the team. And then, obviously, Kyle is a very emotional leader, I believe, so. Definitely. Really great to see those guys being named captains. I think that 
normally we would have gotten that news before the game, but obviously with the news that happened, it felt pretty you mm-hmm. know, silly to mention. So. Uh, we do have some word uh, from Coach Izzo uh, following a press conference regarding one Joey Hauser. Hashtag free Joey Hauser. Free Joey. Do the right thing, NCAA. Um, there is an interview that is occurring, quote, sometime after November 18th. Very vague. Very vague. Um, we don't know what that means. We've been hearing some rumblings that he could be eligible for the second semester. Um, what do you think about that? Would you take him? I don't want a half year eligibility, though. Uh, that's I the do. only thing I'm. All... I think we got to go all in this year. But then mm. it kind of makes me wonder would he play the three? Would he play the four? What happens to Kithier? You know, do we see less Bingham if he plays? It definitely seems like I'm sure. it, a little it's, bit up in the air. It's two games, and obviously, I think we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of things kind of gel together. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't think I expected Bingham to come out and be as good no, as he is. I've been so impressed with um, him. And, and Kithier's been solid, too. Yep. Uh, so it, it's a real struggle to say where you're going to work in Joey Hauser at this mm-hmm. point in time, but he's a um, talent though. I feel like he, if he you're going all in, in yeah. you kind of want a guy like that, even if it's for half a year, but mm. we'll kind of follow this news still and keep waiting for the NCAA to make up their freaking minds. It's about time. I also just don't think it would hurt to have him next year. It definitely wouldn't. Um, we're going to lose some pretty big pieces, I would assume. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so, and then in other news, uh, we had two guys sign their letters of intent for basketball. Maddie Sissoko, big guy, mm-hmm. and point guard A.J. Hoggard made it official today by signing their early letters of intent. It was the first day they could do the early signing day, and uh, that, that's pretty notable that they both uh, signed early, got it done. We don't have to worry about them, oh. um, but we still have one more scholarship, so... It depends on what Izzo wants to do. He did say they are interested in signing another guard, but they could also just pocket it for next season. Yeah, it really depends how this season pans out, who mm-hmm. stays, who goes. Um, I, I'd like to see that scholarship kind of stay in the pocket. I'd like to see. I it would used... too. The twenty twenty one class is looking really I'd li- interesting. I'd like to see it used in twenty two, um, yeah. for sure. So yeah, there's a lot of young prospects coming up. Hi, Imani Bates. Mm-hmm. Hello, please reclassify. Mm. And come here. But anyway, so yeah, well, we have a basketball game coming up tomorrow. Yes, as just mentioned, uh, we are going to be playing Seton Hall. At Seton Hall. At Seton Hall. And Seton Hall, when you think of Seton Hall, you kind of think of Miles Powell. He's their superstar guard. And he suffered um, a pretty severe looking ankle injury last week. Mm. And a lot of people were thinking, oh, he's going to be out for an extended amount of time. But apparently Miles Powell is basically Saquon Barkley and somehow healed miraculously. Also somehow JT Barrett. I mean, that's... Yeah. Some of these players... Young athletes just have an insane timetable. Like, their timetables just don't mean anything to them. But we don't know for sure if he's going to play, but there's been some rumblings to indicate that he's probably going to be available for this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely changes their team, obviously. He's a very talented player. Um, and some other news, Izzo did say that it's looking like Cassius will travel for the game. Um, but he was given the option to stay home if he chose to. Um, but it looks like he's going to play. So, um, anyways, uh, Seton Hall, if we're going to look at Seton Hall, the first thing that stands out to me is how much size they have. Um, they're a very large team. Um, they actually, in fact, have two players that are seven foot tall. Seven foot two. Seven foot two. Seven foot two. Um, so it's, I'm pretty interested to see how Kithier, Tillman, and Bingham kind of deal with that. I think we'll be fine. Um, I, I've watched, 
I actually went and pulled up a little bit of footage from Seton Hall, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen these guys play. Um, they're big. They are meant to be walls. They're very big. Um, they're not very athletic. Okay. Um, I, I think if you creatively drive to the lane, uh, it, they'll be easy to get into foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I Let's think... hope so. Let's hope it's not Tillman following them. Yeah, no, I don't think it will. We can't lose Tillman in this one. We have to keep him out keep of foul him. trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be as big of a problem as, as like, a, I hate to evoke his name, but like a Taco Fall would be for a team last okay. year. Um, they're going to be, they're big, but they're not, they're not great players. I don't know. You're putting in some bad juju into the universe. Take it back. Okay, so obviously we know this is going to be a tough test on the road. Uh, I believe Seton Hall's ranked 12th right now. 12th, yeah. And it's going to be a tough test. Um, Doing a little bit of reading about them, I learned that um, similar to Kentucky's Hagens, as we saw what a defensive talent he is, Mm -hmm. um, Seton Hall has a guy, Quincy McKnight, who really takes pride in his defensive ability. And he's really, he mentioned that he's op, he's relishing the opportunity to guard Cassius. He's kind of studied Cassius. He knows what Cassius can do. And he mentioned that he's really excited to be able to take on that challenge. Mm. So we'll see how Cassius handles that pressure. Um, he's definitely going to be all over him and try to disrupt Cassius as much as possible. And as we know, we kind of go as Cassius goes. Um, obviously, the shooting is going to be really important in this game, hopefully, we get Rocket going a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. waiting for him to kind of have a breakout performance, and I think, I think this uh, would be a great opportunity. I think Aaron Henry is going to be huge. If he plays yeah. well, this team's going to win. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, He's such a key for this team, both offensively and defensively. Absolutely. All right, so, Jason, there was a little bit of an upset last night. There was an upset last night. Yes. Go on. Evansville? Have you ever heard of Evansville? I don't even know where Evansville is. I don't know where it is either, but Evansville... It seems like somewhere in Indiana or something. Evansville decided to roll into a Rupp Arena, mm-hmm. um, and they said, Hi, Kentucky. We're here to get a payday. Also, Got we're... paid 90 grand. Got paid 90 grand to show up. Yep. And, and, took, the, and took the dub. Dang. 67 to 64. Our quality Ken- loss took a hit. Kentucky were 25-point favorites coming into this game. This means absolutely nothing. No. It's like the third game of the season for them. It's, yeah, and the, the, it's it's insignificant. No one's going to remember that Kentucky lost to Evansville in March uh, when they're getting their remember. number one seed. They will remember. Uh, John Calipari will remember. I mean, this is the third biggest college basketball upset, upset in the last 15 seasons. Because Kentucky was a 25-point favorite in this game. Yeah, but... This is a pretty... This is something you're going to remember. Obviously, it's not to the extent of Virginia dropping to UMBC because that's higher stakes. Mm-hmm. This is the third game of the season. But to lose at home to an opponent that you're a 25-point favorite, but Kentucky's it's pretty so, notable. Kentucky's so young, though, too. Yeah. I mean, this is... They're going to be an up-and-down team. They, they are. They are. And when you look at Maxi, he's a big-time player, and he's going to show up in big moments. I bet in March you're going to see him just going off... Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe he wasn't as excited for this matchup. Maybe it was a bit of a letdown game for them after such an emotional win. Um, but yeah, I think being number one is just basically a curse is mm-hmm. what I'm going to say. So I think you're going to see Duke move to the number one spot and they'll probably lose at some point, probably to Florida State. Or maybe us. Maybe we can knock them down. If they stay till December 3rd, maybe we can knock them down. That's true. All right, so I watched a little bit of Michigan last night as well. They played Creighton and they looked pretty good. Um, from they what look, I've, they look fine. 
from what I've gathered with Michigan under um, the new regime, they're going to be a lot more up-tempo. They're going to run, um, I think, with the recruiting that we've seen, they're definitely recruiting more athletes. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a different style of play than we saw with Beeline. Um, so they they did seem to be more up-tempo. I did notice that Teske was struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. He got a little pink in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting to watch throughout the season. He's not really meant for that high-paced offense that they want to do. So keep an eye on that. We're going to see how that goes. I, I think especially going into Big Ten season, um, the Big Ten is traditionally a defensive conference. Yes. Uh, teams are going to, you know, it's going to be a lot of banging down low in the paint. And... The Big Ten looks like ass, though. But It's you, early. But I know, you know, you but know they how look it goes, like ass. Though. Um, yeah, they and, look, it does not, has and, not looked at it all. And I don't think it's completely ass. I think Maryland oh, and Indiana are going to be ass. just fine. I think it's going to be like maybe three teams that are actually pretty good to great and then a lot of crap did you see iowa like iowa looked like crap the francon was at like a solid five it was but but iowa lives and dies by their shooting everyone knows that it's not i'm just a little worried about the big 10 is all i'm a little concerned i'm not hitting the panic button but i'm a little concerned it's gonna be top heavy but um very top heavy we'll see okay so we obviously have to get into some football talk unfortunately but first, obviously, we want to talk about Charles Rogers for a minute. Um, if you hadn't heard, he passed away um, at 38 years old, which is way too young. Uh, we are really sad to learn about this. Um, obviously, he had a very storied career at Michigan State, a lot of accolades. Um, he only played two full seasons at Michigan State, but obviously he was a unanimous All-American and all, also was the recipient of the Fred Blinkenoff. Blinkenoff? I cannot say that, award for the best wide receiver in the country. Um, he holds a lot of records at Michigan State, first in career touchdowns with 27, first and second place in single-season yards, and the list goes on with him. Right, right. You know, uh, 24 games, uh, 135 catches, uh, 2,800 yards and change, Just and 27 touchdowns, as you said. Um, you know, and, and, t- and that's in two years. Yeah. Uh, like you said, he's first in career touchdowns with 27 guys. Don't see that over the course of four years. No. So, uh, Charles Rogers, uh, absolutely one of the greatest to put on the uniform. Um, one of the best athletes to ever be at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame, obviously, it didn't work out for him so in much the at pros, the professional yeah. level. But he, we all know his story. We we know. Yeah. We know what happened. And um, um, some of the circumstances around his passing are highly unfortunate. Absolutely. Um, are, are, are what I will say. But my deepest condolences to all who are affected by this loss, mm. um, his children, and they also asked for privacy during this time. So, um, obviously, to switch gears a little bit, I want to just talk about my favorite Charles Rogers moment. Sure. Um, there's a lot of them to pick from. But I always think about the catch that he had in the back of the end zone against Notre Dame. It was in 2002. He somehow, if you've never seen this catch, you need to just get on YouTube and watch it because it's hard for me to actually explain just how insane this catch was, but it's in the back of the end zone and he somehow gets his left foot down while he's falling backwards and catches it just perfectly. And the, fortunately for all of us, the refs called it a touchdown in real time. I feel like this would have been a review for a few hours back in the day, but he gets his foot down perfectly and just... An awesome player. He really set a prototype for a dominant college wide receiver. Mm-hmm. So, shout out to Chuck. We're gonna miss you in East Lansing, and um, just a legend. 
and we had to mention that. Um, obviously, we have to get into some other unfortunate news well, with the football team. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. Here's here's how I want to start. Now, you were at the game. I was. You were physically there. I was not. I was physically there. It was pretty cold. I was not. Um, yeah. So from my perspective, here's here's how my Saturday afternoon went. Mm-hmm. I started watching the Michigan State game. Yeah. I was very impressed with what I saw. First half, yeah. Uh, first half, we got, we got, you know, we started scoring touchdowns. The mm-hmm. offense was working. Things were going as they should. Yeah. Um, it was 28 to 3. Think- I- yeah, I was thinking, like, we're finally not playing a top 10 defense, and this is what maybe we should look like. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, well, you know what? 28 to 3, we're fine, right? I can. I can, go watch, I, can, I can go watch LSU and Bama because that game is probably. So you're saying this was all important. your fault, and that's not my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna blame myself for this. I didn't switch channels. Um, <laughs> I was there. No, you couldn't switch channels. Um, and then I remember sending you a text message. Uh, you're come like about, what? Come out the fourth quarter, saying, "Excuse me, what the fuck? I thought it was twenty-eight to three. How is this thirty-one to twenty-four now?" Yeah. Uh, um. This is Ugh. honestly. This loss is possibly one of the worst I've felt as a fan, especially as an adult. It's a historic meltdown. Um, It is the uh, largest comeback in Illinois. And I don't like to invoke this name, but it was a very John L. Smith loss. I know. I don't want to invoke it because Mark D'Antonio has done way more in his career than John L. could ever sniff. But just the way that it all happened, the mistakes, the inopportune, like just errors on all fronts... The decision making—it just all brought me back to John L. Smith. What, what happened in the second half? I I, I don't understand because we just we turned the ball over so many times. Lewerke had three interceptions, not mm-hmm. all, and two of those I believe were in the end zone, like right near mm-hmm. at least the end zone. He also had a fumble in this game. Like there were just so many mistakes in mm-hmm. the second half. I I went back and I watched the whole thing, and I I watched it in person, and I don't think I ever want to watch a second of this game ever I, again. I needed to know because obviously I needed to know for, Ugh, for the show here. That's torture. Um, it it was tough. It was. We real only scored tough. six points in the second half. Like, just what? Just nah. Terrible. It makes me sick. Like I felt physically sick i i parked at dagwoods if you guys have never been to dagwoods it's like kind of this like divey little bar in lansing Mm -hmm. and we parked at dagwoods because it's free please don't all park there now um also it's a super cheap place to get a burger and a beer um but we parked there and it's probably about a two mile walk to the stadium from there yeah you can do it about 20 minutes i swear to you jason on my walk there Normally, I see a lot of people walking. There was not a single soul walking. We didn't see anyone till we hit about that um, that really nice part of the pavilion where, like, the recruits go in and there's that glass door or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nobody. I'm like, what is going on? This feels like a ghost town. Like, why is there no one? So I expected the crowd to be, like, really, really sparse, but people did show up. People did show up. Um, that was pretty surprising to me. I kind of expected it to look like a spring game atmosphere. But people did show up, um, and they, they got treated with a really fun first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about some bright spots, because I am known for being kind of an optimist. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about, number one, my number one bright spot is Elijah Collins. This is important. Very important. 
Elijah had 28 carries for 170 yards and two touchdowns, and we still lost this game. <laughs> Just like what? Cody, uh, White, Cody White had seven catches for 128 yards, and we still lost this game. And Cody White had some other passes that were in the neighborhood that maybe he could have hauled in. But Yeah, I can't fault him too much. I, I mean, can't, seven receptions no. for 128 is more than enough mm-hmm. from him. Um, there was the 46-yard field goal by Coglin that was impressive. Um, good for his confidence for his going confidence. forward. I don't know if we're really going to need field goals uh, this week, but maybe we do. Mm-hmm. Michigan's going to, we're going to need touchdowns, I think. We're going to need something. Uh, we're going to need a lot. But some more bright spots, obviously, were a lot of the first half, like, really great things and plays were happening because of young players. Yes. We saw a lot of young players. We had two starters on the offensive line that were true freshmen. And, you know, we saw Samak getting the start at center. Like, there was a lot of really bright spots. Obviously, the run game, the the offensive line looked better. There were some bright spots, but then, obviously, we all know how things ended up. And we have a lot of things to get into about some of the events that occurred in this game. But first, I want to get into some injury news. Before we get into the concussions and all the other business that... Is going to get very contested and heated in here. Jason's rubbing his face. So you already know it's going to get contentious. But some injury news, obviously, um, if you were watching the game, Dotson was rolling on the ground after not being hit. So I kind of knew that whenever it's a non-contact injury, you have to worry about the Achilles. It's probably bad. Yeah, it's never good when it's a non-contact. And unfortunately, the news came out today that he's done for the season with a torn Achilles. Yes. I am so sick of the Achilles tendon. I just... It's a tough injury. I mean, because he's... It's awful and, injury. And at, this, and at this point in the season, um... Yeah. It's gonna... It, it, it has a long-term impact. It's, you know, he's not... Obviously not gonna play the rest of this year. No. Um, I just really wish that we could get rid of the Achilles tendon in the future. <laughs> Can we just somehow phase out of it in evolution? To get rid of the Achilles tendon, because it just ruins everything. Tightrope surgeries for everyone. Let's go. Alright, and then Josiah Scott exited this game, and you kind of saw the impact of that at the end, because uh, Butler had to play, and he got the pass interference at, on fourth down in the end zone, which is a bit of a contentious point. Some people think it was pass interference. Some people think, yes, it was pass interference, but you don't call it in that situation. To me, I saw him holding the receiver his back was turned. I think it's pretty textbook PI. The rules shouldn't change because of the circumstance yeah, absolutely. of the game. People it's that, a people, tough call. People that say that, I'm sorry. It. I'm going to get into one of my rants here. Um, that was a fair penalty. Yeah. That was absolutely... I don't fair. like it because it went against my team. But if it were, the rules were reversed, I would be screaming mm. for pass interference. Mm-hmm. Of things I'm going to mention in this game, the officiating... Not a problem at all. No, we probably had no. one of the best crews that we've had in any game this season. They were a non-factor to me. They were a non-factor. They um, did what they had to call, but obviously it's tough on fourth down, but at the same time, I think it was pretty textbook. Mm-hmm. D'Antonio seemed to disagree, but I think more of his contention is with the down and distance and what it meant for the rest of the game. But Illinois really tried to give us this game. They really did. They tried to waste... Multiple They wasted times. so much clock at the end of the game. 
But anyways, back to Josiah Scott. He is actually expected to play at Michigan this week, so his injury wasn't super serious, but he did not come back to yeah, the game. they still haven't labeled it. Um, on, yeah. on TV, they like, they called it a lower body, body injury. Which can be anything. Yeah. Like, not very specific. Um, D'Antonio yesterday in his Tuesday press conference mentioned that the loss was very disappointing. It'll be one that I'll probably carry with me for the rest of my life. Same, Mark. Same. Where? How have we gotten here? I just... I don't know. It's a tough spot. There's a lot that got us here. Yeah. We stopped playing with the same intensity in the second half. Yep. We stopped running anything that made any kind of a sense mm-hmm. offensively in the second half. Illinois made adjustments in the second half. And we did not counter them. Michigan State does not make adjustments under Mark D'Antonio. No. Mark Antonio uh, kept the same game plan, kept thinking it was going to work. Obviously, a number of our boys had been scouted. The stats that we just mentioned, you know, with Cody White and, and, and Elijah Collins, a lot of those came in the first half. That yeah. wasn't, we weren't doing, we didn't do anything on offense in the second half. We put up six points, no. two field goals that, and, and you know, that doesn't, that doesn't win a game. It sounds, if you want to draw parallels to something, draw parallels to that Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Falcons. Please, no. Very, 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 no, very like similar that. games. Mm. Um, it it just... It's just tough. It hurt. Yeah. But, but it hurt because it was just watching us make the same mistakes that we made the last three weeks over and over and over and over again. And these mistakes roll back not just to the last, you know, the losing streak here. They roll back to the end of 2018. They roll back to three and nine. It's the same. It's the same things again and again mm-hmm. and again. Um, but so so to sit here and say uh, it's probably one one I'll probably care with me for the rest of my life. But also think that the pass interference call was a bad call at the same time looking for a scapegoat. I can't respect that. I cannot respect yeah. that from a head coach. Take accountability for the loss. He did. To be fair, he did say at the in the Tuesday press conference he did take more accountability. It was more post-game that he was really defiant and just... He did have the next question remark that I think we all heard. Next question. Yeah, when he was asked about the state of the program and fan reactions to this, he just said, next question. To which to which I can almost understand to a point. Obviously, yeah. the reaction in the moment to, to blowing a 25-point lead is going to mm-hmm. be very hot. If you looked at Twitter, yeah. it was very angry. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. And... and and if you looked at my Twitter tweets, has been a pretty violent place. It's this it's year. been it's been bad, but yeah. But I get it. Yeah, I do. Um, but getting into injuries, um, there was a pretty contentious part in this game in the second half, especially, and it kind of seemed to fuel a bit of the Illinois comeback. Was uh, the Lewerke concussion question mark? Um, Obviously, Lewerke was running the ball a lot more in this game. He mm. was our second leading rusher mm-hmm. on the day, and he was doing some really good runs. But in the second half, he was running for trying to get a first down, and he got hit in the back of the head. And it does appear on replay that he drops the ball like he's out for a second. Uh, he gets back up kind of wobbly a little bit, and Seibert is showing to the sideline for someone to come out. He's mm-hmm. pulling, trying to get attention. Lewerke waves everyone off, and play continues. Um, so there was kind of some conflicting reports here. Um, first off, they said right away that 
he did not go through concussion protocol and that Lewerke just waved them off and he wasn't examined after the game. But then later on, there was a statement released um, from Anthony Avellino, who Uh is the MSU's assistant provost for student health and wellness, who seems to say that he was assessed for concussion stuff. This is the most PR statement I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so basically I think D'Antonio probably told the truth there that he didn't go through any concussion things. He didn't. Yeah, I mean, it was one play. How could you go through concussion protocol when he didn't come out of the game? It was a, you know. He waved them off, and this goes into player safety. And my question for you, Jason, is do you listen to the player in this situation? Um, Who's at fault for this? You never listen to the player. Mm -hmm. Because he's always going to say The player's going to tell you that he's going to be fine. Yeah. Brian Lewerke did it to ruin half of last year (laughs) with a bad shoulder. This is a... And especially with Brian. He's say got a little bit of a Stafford streak in him. You say what you want about the numbers. Say mm-hmm. what you want about the accomplishments he's personally had throughout his, his career. He's He played last year with a bad shoulder. Yeah, he did. He, he put himself back into that Michigan game. Mm-hmm. This but D'Antonio also allowed it to happen. It's kind of... It goes both it's ways. a bit of and, an enabling by the coaching staff to let the player control the situation in some ways. I think the player should have input on if he's okay to go or not. But a lot of Lowerke's comments last year definitely seemed to suggest that he was in a lot of pain. And mm-hmm. to me, that doesn't really seem like, hey, I'm good to go, coach. You know, maybe he was saying that behind closed doors, but in press conferences saying that he was in a lot of pain. Um, like this week, he actually said that he has a lot of pain in his neck, but he doesn't have a concussion. If you're having some neck pain, I'm a little concerned. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with your neck, Brian. Um, just... just... But there was a statement that kind of started this whole thing, which was Lewerke being interviewed after the game. He said, I'm fine. This was Saturday night, adding, my head was ringing for a little bit. It was a tough hit. Definitely rung my bell for a little bit. I think I was fine. That does not sound okay to me. Here's the thing. With with the added focus on, on player safety, player safety yeah. concussions, the addition of the targeting rule... Um, and the addition of independent analysts mm-hmm. that are supposed to be either on the sideline or up in the press box saying that they can recognize the signs of a concussion. Mm-hmm. This should not have been uh, should not have been a Brian Lewerke choice. No. It should not have been a Mark D'Antonio choice. No, I agree It should with not this. have been yeah. any choice. Mm-hmm. An independent medical professional should have stepped mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, and that's when I get to this point, the statement here that was released by the assistant provost. Um, I'm going to read it real quick and I'm going to mm-hmm. kind of tell you what my issue is. Quote, um, the safety of student athletes at Michigan State University is our number one priority. Decisions on whether a player returns to competition after potentially suffering an injury are made by our medical staff, which does not report to our coaching staff or through the athletics department, as it shouldn't, my, my editorial here. Upon returning to the sideline late in the fourth quarter with under five minutes remaining in the game, Brian Lowergy was given a symptom assessment by our medical staff. After not showing signs of a concussion, he was cleared to play. As a precautionary measure, Brian was given further tests in the following day, and was once again determined not to have a concussion. Okay. So why was he pulled right away for concussion symptoms? So question. Well, my, my question comes as follows. Brian Lewerke was given a symptom assessment by our medical staff. Mm-hmm. Brian Lewerke also waved off the medical staff and was not seen per Coach D'Antonio. Yeah. What actually happened? 
I, I tend to go more towards D'Antonio's statement, and then MSU probably tried to do a PR fix. This is, this is absolutely PR speak. Um, um, it's, a, it's a big error, I think. I don't necessarily blame this on D'Antonio, but he ultimately is the head and shoulders of the program, mm. and it falls on him ultimately, but because he's in charge of this, he's basically the GM of the team, mm-hmm. and... But I look more towards the medical staff and the spotters who are supposed to look at these things. Like, even the refs or the people up in the box. How did no one go, hey, stop play, this guy needs to be pulled? I think it's a failure on a a lot of fronts. Um, It's really disappointing because I care about Brian Lewerke's long-term future more than I care about this football game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would really hurt me to hear that he had any long-term effects from this if he were to have gotten a concussion and didn't be get, get pulled. And there, there were just, there's a lot to consider here. Mm-hmm. Um, just top to bottom. It's just, it's a really disappointing. It's irresponsible. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and unfortunately this, this team, this, the staff, not the players. I have, mm-hmm. I, I take no issue with the individual athletes Right. Um, they are all incredible, um, and, and they are just doing what they're do, supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes, in some instances, I believe, possibly taking marching orders. Um, but the coaching staff, the, the medical staff, there, there needs to be some accountability here, mm-hmm. and there isn't any. No. And that's been a problem at Michigan State for a little bit. All right, switching gears, um, it's hate week. We've hardly even talked about it being hate week because we're both so, like, just over everything right now. And obviously with the two tragic losses this weekend, everything kind of feels a little trivial this week. It's been a quiet hate week. Um, It's been a quiet hate week, and I think most of that is because I, like many other Michigan State fans, and probably you as well, don't have a lot of high expectations for this weekend. Um, If we played like we did in the first half for a complete game... Maybe we could actually make things interesting, but this team has not shown the ability to put together a full game this whole season. Mm-hmm. Here's what I see. I look at the it's times broken. That, we're I, broken. I look at the times that Michigan has lost. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to try and look forward and find the silver lining for this, game. <laughs> you got to dig. When Michigan has lost, or when they've nearly lost, it was because Army ran the ball down their throat. It was because Jonathan Taylor ran the ball down their throat. Um, and it was because Penn State had a little bit of mixed success in both facets of the game, but they were able to establish a run game. Mm-hmm. If you go back and you look at the uh, at the Illinois game, and you look at our, our first highlight, Elijah Collins, 28 carries, 170 yards, two touchdowns. Elijah needs to have an effective game yeah. if we want any shot at mm-hmm. this. Uh, we cannot put the ball in Brian Lewerke's hands, and we cannot be down 14 early. Yeah. If we're down 14 early, it's over. Yeah, pretty much. Um. I also forgot to mention with that pick six, I really don't know where that ball was going because we didn't. We forgot to kind of mention that after the supposed head injury that wasn't a concussion according to Michigan State, uh, he throws an immediate pick six. There was a lot of discussion about uh, Mellon. I I have a mixed relationship with Matt Mellon uh-huh. and his commentary. So do most Lions fans. Um, Mellon believed that Cody White ran the correct route. Yeah, and um, Brian... we had heard that there could have been a miscommunication, so yeah. maybe Lewerke was on a different page. And and the the receiver broke, in this case it was Cody White, I believe, uh, broke, and he started his out route. 
um, yeah. to kind of go downfield. And Brian was expecting him to cut back and take the out, uh, take the uh, sideline route. It was just a bizarre throw. So he threw it to the was, wrong spot because yeah. there was nobody there. Not a single um, soul there. And other than the Illinois guy who ran it for a touchdown. And the thing is, is if he had thrown the ball correctly, it's six points the other way. Yeah. Well, we've missed. Not to pick on Brian, obviously, but there have been some pretty large missed touchdown opportunities this season. Yeah. But not to pick on him because you never really know what's going on, and it's hard for quarterbacks to make such split-second decisions with yeah, the ball. Yeah, I didn't call the play, um, no. and obviously... But uh, there's clearly guys getting open. It's just sometimes there's lo- there's misses. But yeah, so hate week. Sorry to go back into the pick six, but I just remembered. I don't feel like I really talked enough about the play that happened there after the supposed head injury, or not head, head injury, depending on who you ask. So, hate week is here. Um, fuck Michigan. Getting fuck, that out there. Fuck Michigan. Always. Um, I'm always going to hate them, and I'm always going to talk that shit, even if I know we're going to get housed or we're not going to get housed. I'm always going to talk that shit. Exactly. You know, I, I'm i always going to talk that shit, too. Like, I watched... First thing I did... Um, on Monday morning was get up and watch that Who's Got It Better Than Us parody video Ugh, that just shows that Jim Harbaugh yelling that yelling that over and over again mm-hmm. um, and all the terrible things Good that one. have happened to them in the last few years. It is my favorite thing. Um, Big fan of that. Yeah, I love their misery. We love their misery. And it really sucks that they've gotten so much better in recent weeks because if we would have saw like week two Michigan, I'd feel like this was going to be like a really sloppy game. <laughs> Yeah, and but it still could be. It still could still be a lot flashes. of turnovers. I mean, yeah, you don't. Illinois scored twenty four unanswered against that Michigan defense at one point still, and that wasn't that long ago. Right. So maybe Illinois is just like the ultimate second half team, apparently. Yeah, and and unfortunately, Iowa didn't answer. look bad. But also, shout out to Levy Smith, who now has Illinois bowl eligible. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it came against us, but uh, yeah. Shout out to Lovey. He's doing things. And shout out to Brandon Peters. Uh, Jim Harbaugh's best quarterback pick. Except he's doing it in Illinois. No comment. All right. Um, so you mentioned the LSU-Bama game. Oh. I didn't get to watch it because yeah. I was in Spartan Stadium. What a good football game. But I saw clips from it. What and just there were so many touchdowns game. in this game that I think my head was starting to spin a little bit. It was bit. so good. I get overwhelmed oh, when te- when games are like... Over twenty points scored each way. I'm like, oh my god, this is yeah. So you're huge. not used. You're not used I'm to that. I'm really area. not. No. <laughs> First, so I start um, to kind of get a little woozy. So uh, I got some things to say about that game. Joe Burrows is an absolute dude. He's gonna win the Heisman. That's my pick. I'm sticking by it. Joe, he, he had his Heisman he moment. Because of where the is schedule. where is Justin Fields gonna get his Heisman moment left? Because. Hmm hypothetically like if you look at the west it's probably going to be minnesota is minnesota really going to be the effect of beating bama they go into that game undefeated hell yeah osu's running table we're rowing that gopher boat okay i love no i i very much like minnesota but Uh, we'll we'll get there i Um, think they're they're the real deal yeah we'll we'll get there in a minute um let me let me roll the boat, Jason. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a minute because I, I want to talk yeah, about I know. Go off. the CFP and, and things. Blah, um, blah, blah, football. <laughs> no, this is important. College football playoff rankings came I out. I don't care about them. Uh, they're important. They're important to me because, as you said, they're going to sort themselves out, right? They totally. did. 
No, they didn't. You didn't like Penn State no, at they four. Didn't. They're no longer at four. No, and they got replaced by fucking Georgia. Yeah. Make sense SEC of that. SEC bias. Explain that to me, please. It's SEC. Why do you care? Because, Nothing matters. <laughs> because why are you putting a one-loss team when you've got two other Power 5 conference teams that are undefeated? I know you stand Baylor. Just get on with it. <laughs> it's just It's disrespectful. I mean, you know. There, there's a reason that this new this ranking system, system is biased. This it's is, always this going is, to be this way. This is worse than the BCS computer system. I will make yeah. that argument right now. Um, the only way that but you Jason, fix this it's is... mid-season. You're putting too much, too much it's into a really... mid-season rank. A like mm-hmm. little bit over mid-season. It's not. You don't do that in college basketball. You don't say here are NCAA tournament teams. Actually, they have started they in have, mid-season. They have started doing. They that. do projections, they but they don't actually projections. have the NCAA committee come out and say, "Hey, here's our mid-season." tournament teams they don't do that because it doesn't matter (laughs) it matters everything matters it doesn't matter to me i only care when my team matters when michigan state's not in the college football playoff discussion i don't give one shit about these ratings so just to go over the ratings again lsu is number one deserved deserved ohio state number two deserved Deserved. clemson finally got their earnings number three deserved and georgia number four well, Georgia, Georgia may not stay there, though. I don't think they'll put two. I mean, like, you... We, we've taken one loss Georgia, we've taken one loss Alabama. They can't leave out the SEC. They're, you know, like... You take, you take one loss Georgia, They They always want to have two SEC teams in there. They're always trying to squeeze them in. Because they have a deal with, you know, with ESPN. Hmm. SEC, baby. Anyways, hmm. so, do you think that this loss will take Bama out of the college football playoff discussion? I think that's more of the big question here. It really depends what happens in the SEC East. Yeah. Um, Georgia still has a tough game left on their schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, if for some reason they lose, and if for some reason you see a team like Florida end up in that SEC championship game, I think Alabama has an argument. Um, if you don't see that, and if it's Georgia that goes, um, and you have an LSU-Georgia title game, and, and Bama's sitting home, they don't have, I guess, what it would take to really qualify. Right. Uh, uh, they don't have a qualifying win. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly but it's because... hard to leave them out. Can you imagine the college they're football so playoff like, without Alabama? They put up 41, and they had a really impressive second half against LSU. Um, right. But it was at home, and they yeah. lost. Yeah. But Najee Harris put up such a such a good game too. I. It was just a really good mm, football game. It was just a, it was so Which good. Is something I'm not used to. It was to so watching. good. It was so good. Um, All right, so I want to switch gears. I'm done talking about good football. But I want to switch to row the boat. I heard some discussion. Row the boat. That and this has been on podcasts. Um, I listened to Green and White Noise from the Athletic, really good podcast with Chris Vanini and Colton Pouncey. Mm-hmm. And they kind of mentioned that um, Minnesota reminds them of what Michigan State used to be. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of follow that train of thought at all? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Because I kind of feel like they make a really good point with that. Um, no. Because I think they're strong on both lines. They make big plays, which is all stuff. And they're disciplined. It's stuff Michigan State used to be known for. 
they're kind of disrespected. I don't think it's what Michigan State... I don't think you can make the comparison to Handoverfest. Um, I see but, it. But mainly that's because I, I watched a lot of P.J. Fleck and I saw exactly what he did at Western Michigan. Uh, and he's doing the exact same thing. This yeah. isn't it. He's not reinventing the wheel. He's doing exactly what he's done in the past. He's a good coach. Uh, he's a very good coach. Um, I don't I, quite like his attitude in some ways. Like I find like he would wear a little thin for me personally. This is just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's like way too much as a person. But he's a damn good football coach and he also really knows how to relate to players i think you know he's young he's very energetic Mm -hmm. and he gets people rallying around him and we saw that with western michigan and now he's kind of signed to a pretty nice deal it's looking like a good deal for minnesota right now yeah i mean they're not paying him too too much Mm -hmm. um but he's he got extended he's kind of locked in for right now at least he's locked in and uh i i I think what really i think what really helped pj fleck in this transition um if I could point to one moment, it would be the Cotton Bowl that uh, mm-hmm. that Western played against Wisconsin. And, and fell, um, but played a really good game. They fell, but they played a really good game, and I think yeah. that gave them a lot of experience for what to expect in, like, in Power 5. Um, roll the boat, babies. Roll the boat. Skyuma. Uh, yeah, Skyuma. 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 Um, but I'm all in on Minnesota right now. I think that they're a fun team to watch. Let's let them run the table and then get wiped out by Ohio State. And Yep. And, That's and, pretty much what I expect. Yeah. But hey, you know, if they are classic Michigan State, maybe they'll uh, pull the upset against Ohio State. Yeah, absolutely. Then we'll really know the answer to this question. If they beat Ohio State in the title game, we know the answer. Yeah. All right. Tara, um, you oh. want to do a quick little update. Jason was like a little hesitant about me doing this little hockey update. I was not hesitant. But Michigan State split the series with number six, Penn State. It was an away series. So they won the first game two to nothing. Patrick Kodorenko had a goal along with Logan Lambden. And in the second game, they lost 6 to 4. And Patrick Kodorenko scored twice. So, my new favorite player is Patrick Kodorenko. Okay. That's it. There we go. Love boots still though. Perfect. All um right. and then we have another fun segment that we're going to do, but before we do that, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be right back. Be back. See ya. We're back. We are back. Hello, um, people. Yeah, hello. So that was a that was a little bit of a contentious first bit it's of the pretty podcast. Contentious, little sad. We oh. had a lot of moments, a lot of emotions. A lot of moments. Yeah. We got a little fiery there when we were talking about football. A little salty because I don't care about college football rankings anymore. Yeah, it got a little. little I just don't care it. about anything anymore, but <laughs> except for positive memories. Positive memories. We Jason put out, had a great idea this week. We put out the call. It, it's been a little bit of a bummer lately, so yeah. we wanted to call back and kind of. Jason think about... texted me and was like, "Hey, what do you think about doing some positive moments or memories this week for Spartans?" And I thought that was the best idea because we all need it right now. So we put out the call, the Twitter, we got some emails, we got some DMs, we got some tweets. We got all kinds of stuff. And And uh, I think it's all going to just make us remember the good times, we'll have some fun with it, and we both are going to share our own personal ones. So Jason, why don't you go first? Yeah, um, this was in 2003. This is a great story, Um, I've heard this one before. I was 11 years old, Um, I was with my dad, um, and we were going out to South Christian High School in Kentwood, Michigan. Um, to go watch one Drew Knightzel play basketball. I remember him. Yeah. Knightzilla, baby. Knightzilla, one of the best Catch the fever. Absolutely. Um, wanted to go see him play, um, because he knew, he had heard he'd been being scouted by Michigan State and a couple others, Mm -hmm. um, and and we were, we just wanted to see him before he made it. He was a baller, that man. He was so good. 
Um, and South Christian was probably the best in that area. They were the best school, and we wanted to see what he did against them. Uh, ended up being a good game. Couldn't tell you the score, but it was a good game. That was 11. <laughs> um, but we were glancing around, and sitting on a metal folding chair uh, along the gym wall was one Tom Izzo. Oh my God. Tom Izzo was in the building that day. Um, and, and if you've ever met my dad, you'll know that he walks up to anyone and will introduce <laughs> himself and act like they've been friends for 20 years. So after the game, my dad does roll up to Tom Izzo, introduces himself, introduces me. We talk for a few minutes. Very nice guy, uh, as, as anyone that's ever inter- interacted with Coach ever says. So down to earth. So down to yeah. earth. What a, what a great person. And he signs me an autograph, and I didn't read it right in the moment. Um, we got out to the car, I read it, and it says... Jason, go get your dad some help. Go green. And then he signed it. And then I was like, get your dad help. What does he mean? And then I looked over at my dad. And my dad's dumbass is sitting there wearing a Michigan sweater. (laughs) Needless to say, your dad was converted. Yeah. Yeah, His dad now has season tickets for football. So Izzo did the Lord's work. He did. Okay. So my story is probably similar to a lot of people's. Um, Because it relates back to the Rose Bowl, and that's a special time for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dad, uh, he missed out on going to the Rose Bowl in 1988, um, but he always wanted to go. And when I was younger, he told me, Tara, if we ever make another Rose Bowl, I'm not missing it. And it was on his big bucket list for sports, and we always talked about wanting to do it together. Um, We watched as Kirk Cousins and the boys fell just short in 2011, and the Big Ten Championship game, and we kind of thought that that was our missed opportunity, that, you know, we had missed our chance. But luckily, as we all know, there'd be another. And, you know, we got to see the Big Ten Championship game together that year against Ohio State. We got to watch that win, and we got to celebrate going to the Rose Bowl. You know, we all knew winning that game meant we were going to the Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. So we actually did get to go to Pasadena together. Tickets were not cheap. No. Flights were not cheap. No. Um, but we made it there and I have to say it was probably one of the coolest life experiences I've ever had. Um, not only getting to see it with my dad, but also just watching how Los Angeles and Pasadena were just painted green and white that weekend. Uh, it was really special and it's something that I'll never forget. And I'll also always be grateful to Michigan state and especially Mark D'Antonio for that experience. Um, because it's a lifelong memory that my dad and I will always share together. So you know, I had to get a little sappy on you. Awesome. Um, and then we have, like we said, we've got a ton of these in. We had a lot this if, week. If we didn't get to yours, we're sorry, but we've got a lot of these. So we're, we're just going to read them um, yep. and just kind of share share some great moments here. Uh, first one comes in from Samuel Blake. Um, Samuel says, I was at the Big Ten Championship game in 2013 with my dad and two friends. We were in the MSU section, but we were surrounded by two groups of loud, obnoxious Ohio State fans. Same. We stood up the whole game, and my voice was gone by halftime. Also same. Seeing Jeremy Langford cap off the game with that touchdown run is one of my favorite memories, Mm -hmm. and that night was one of the best of my life. That smile on Langford's face is so iconic as he's running away. I was at that game, too, and I was also surrounded by obnoxious Ohio State fans because they're everywhere, Mm. and we were really outnumbered, but... The Spartan fans really showed up and were loud at the end, obviously. Mm-hmm. All right, so the next one comes from Mike Clock. Sorry if I'm saying your last name incorrectly. Um, he mentioned a pretty good list of 10 things, but we kind of picked two that we liked. Watching this cutie named Carrie carry the Purdue Big Ten flag while kick-stepping into Spartan Stadium. 
They've been together 42 years, 37 with her as his wife. Um, and carrying another of the Big Ten's flags during those games, Carrie's brother, Kevin. So it's a little bit of family tradition. It's fun. And then he also mentioned that Judd Heathcote told him, be the first Mike Clock, not the second Lynn Henning. He said, Lynn helped me a ton, by the way. <laughs> and that's classic Judd. That is if classic If you Judd. Like, have ever heard Judd Heathcote talk, mm-hmm. it's like he could have been a stand-up comedian. He's such a funny guy. So I really like that from Mike Clock. And to bring Judd into it really mm-hmm. brought some joy back. And, hey, and you met your wife, and that's that's there you go. Shout out to Mike and uh, his wife. Still together. Carrie. Carrie. Let's Mike, go. There you go. Uh, next one rolls in from Nick Foster uh, on Twitter. Uh, Nick says, my first ever Michigan State football game I, I attended was the Little Giants. Probably the best night of my sports fan in life up until the Rose Bowl win. I hugged way too many random people <laughs> that night. My friend's dad wanted to take it on the radio, sold it to me for 20 bucks, and I sat next to the band. Awesome. Also, not long after I moved to Indianapolis in 2007, Michigan State was in the Final Four. We moved in my 8th grade year, so it seemed farther than a 4-hour drive until they played in the 2010 Final Four here. There were a ton of MSU fans that showed for the practices, and it really made things seem like they were not far away from home. I love that. One, Yeah, one thing that I think runs consistent here, obviously his Indianapolis is a lot closer, but Michigan State fans travel well. They do. They really do. They show. They are out, they, a very passionate, loving They show fans. out and show support for their teams no matter where they are, so that's, that's a really a great thing to see. All right, from Hans Jurgent, he mentions the 1990 game against Michigan, which is a pretty apt uh, comparison for this week, mm-hmm. when no one, in parentheses, because it was no one versus number one, mm-hmm. when no one beat number one Michigan, yeah, we tripped Desmond, and we wouldn't want to win any other way. Give me that energy, Hans. All like, right. yes. I love that. That was uh, a really great moment. Hans adds, uh, they're the only thing better than beating Go Blow. It's screwing go blow. Love that. And, and we love that. We love that for hate week. I love that energy. I'm a big, like, anti-Desmond guy anyway, so <laughs> loved that one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Christopher on Twitter uh, writes in and says, I left East Lansing in 1988 and headed out west, ending up in the wilds of Wyoming. My oldest son in 2010 had earned a full-ride scholarship to Michigan State. Congratulations. Congratulations. Hey, hey, same wavelength. <laughs> I hadn't been to a football game in 25 years when I returned for the Notre Dame game in 2012. The game was a clunker, but yeah. I met my, my now-wife Melissa at my brother's tailgate. Uh, one thing led to another, and a beautiful relationship began that day. Oh, I'm crying. Uh, we are now married, living in Tucson, Arizona, and we live and breathe Spartan athletics. Ours is a true Michigan State love story. Go green. I'm emotional. We that like was that. really sweet. We really like that. And, and his wife, Melissa, follows me too, so shout out to Christopher and Melissa. What an awesome story. Absolutely. And that and just, Chris- like, warmed my heart so much. And Christopher, we really like that you don't like Arizona State, too. We, 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 <laughs> yes. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure you were at that game, probably. <laughs> All uh, right. So the next one comes in from Greg. TJ Duckett's touchdown to end the clock game was amazing. I couldn't afford season tickets. It was my freshman year, but a family member gave me theirs. They had great seats, but were out of town. I traded my ticket for a student ticket and had the time of my life. And if you ever want to have fun, uh, sit at or near the student section. It is really fun. You get to stand the whole time, and it gets really rowdy in there. Um, I also want to add a little story for my TJ Duckett time. 
Uh, my grandma and I actually watched that game together, and it was actually the first time I remember um, Michigan State beating Michigan in my lifetime. Obviously, I was born in 92, but that 2001 game was really clear in my head. Um, and my grandma and I just screamed and yelled around the house. So I have really fond memories of that. TJ Duckett was definitely one of my favorite players. So on to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. David Jackson uh, writes and says, uh, Bobby Morris running the punt back 80-something yards to beat Michigan. We love all these Michigan stories. Mm, the Michigan, the Michigan <laughs> stories are, are important this week. Uh, just getting charged by Brad Cochran and stumbling into the end zone. Uh, getting up, he was first greeted by his cheerleader sister. That's a great moment. That is a great moment, obviously, for him, too. All right, so next we have Andy Boyan coming in. I got to take my nephew to the Penn State game in 2017. I got sent home for a warm-up, then headed back and took 50-yard line seats right behind the Penn State bench. Saw Saquon run like a truck, but still MSU pulled the upset. Crowd was wild because everyone who came back was diehard and crazy. At Evan Boyd, maybe he'll be a Spartan one day. <laughs> um, we both were at that game, right? You yeah, were at that one as well? I was well? there. Um, that game was really fun. That was a great time. And I can definitely relate to those feelings. All right, Jason? Uh, next one comes in from Miss Belvedere. This is um, a great one, too. Kind of, kind of a long one, but this is fun, so we're going to read the whole story here. Um, hey, here's mine. Uh, my dad and mom both uh, passed eight years ago, Thanksgiving. And while I have so many great memories, here's my favorite one that honored my dear old pops. I grew up near Ann Arbor, and my dad worked his entire career at the U, which meant that I knew what I was getting into come rivalry week. Uh, during my freshman year, we got beat handily, and I was shocked to hear nothing from my dad. I checked the case all snail mail about four to five days after the game to find an envelope from home. I opened it up to find two things. One, the clipping from the Ann Arbor News Sunday headline, and a perfectly folded piece of Kleenex. Dang. Cold. Savage. Cold-blooded. Absolutely savage. Uh, your dad was a real one. Real uh, one. Rest in peace to both your parents, by abs- the way. Absolutely. Uh, next year, we won, which was amazing. My parents were out of town arriving Sunday night, so I drove home Sunday morning and stopped to get four pieces of poster board and markers. My parents had a small house with four massive front windows. I wrote my, let myself in the house and simply wrote, MSU 17, and then UM 7. Yep. Mom laughed her ass off and my dad didn't talk to me for a week. It was amazing. That is so great. That is a, I love the pettiness in that family. It's fantastic. beautiful. All hopefully, right. hopefully you get to do that again this weekend. Yes, let's hope so, right? Yeah. Or, you know. All right, so on. Lucas Whitney comes in. This is the man who always tries to break our podcast, but this time he has a good story. So, All right, I was watching the Duke game from this past tourney run. Great game. The whole day, my heart was beating fast. When MSU led at halftime, my Apple Watch seemed to notice and told me to breathe. I relate to that. Yeah. When I used to wear, like, a Fitbit, um, I'd pay attention to my heart rate during football games, and I'm pretty sure I was by stroke level, and also it thought I was working out, like, very intensely most of the time. So Mm -hmm. I can definitely relate to that. All right, he continues. The game went on, and I am teeter-tottering on not watching just based on nerves. I was definitely pacing. Um, My wife comes home in time for the Tillman slam and one. I started to realize this might happen. Then the shot happened. I fell to the floor like Larry David and just stood up till the end. We're on a streaming TV service, so we're a few seconds behind live action. Hey, I can relate to that YouTube TV life. I'm standing up, walking around the basement pacing. My watch goes off, and I look at it, and I just start screaming, 
Holy shit, they won. They won. Oh my bleeping god, yeah. Almost hit my head on the ceiling jumping up and down. I'll never forget it. Memories. Then he finishes by saying, I just kissed my wife and watched TV for a little bit afterwards. I was just stunned. It felt surreal. The end stunk, but the journey was amazing. Yeah, that, that run last year was... really sums up the feelings. Yeah, that run last year was magical. Um, there was there was so much there. It was a really good time. I really enjoyed that shot by Kenny Goins. Kenny G. Kenny G. Legend. All right. Jeremy. JD underscore chair bear. Uh, shout out to you. Um, again, for everything you did with, with arranging the tickets for kids. Absolutely. He got a shout out on The Athletic. He got an article about it. So congrats. Congratulations. Way to be a good human being. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. It's in best memory. Senior at Grand Ledge High School. Decided my hockey career is over as I will pass on playing club at Grand Valley. MSU makes the run to the national title. At every game, they blow out Boston University and then had a close win over Notre Dame at the Van Andel. He goes to the Frozen Four in St. Louis and he sees them get revenge on Maine, who knocked out a loaded team the season before, and then followed up to play the best 3-1 game in history against Boston Boston College the next night. When we fly home Sunday, Crunchies is closed for a private party for the team. I got a picture with the trophy. Only one month left of high school, but damn, after that night, I was ready for college. No doubt. That's an awesome story. I still very much remember that 2007 run to the championship in the national, at the Natty with Abdul Kader and the that, boys. That Frozen Four. It was a good time. And obviously, Jer Bear is our official hockey expert on the Twitter, so follow him for all your hockey needs. I'm definitely not the hockey person to follow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Continuing on, um, Colin Jankowski writes, My freshman year was 2017, and the band obviously traveled to Ann Arbor for the game. The game was an awesome time. Being at the big house in a huge upset in a monsoon, surrounded by UM fans booing us the whole time, was just something I'll never forget. And he has fingers crossed for Saturday, lol. Yeah, that 2017 game was really memorable. Uh, obviously, Lewerke having such a breakout performance. Um, but yeah, so definitely a great memory. All right, and then we're going to finish off with a story from Mitch. He labels it his trouble with the snap story. And... We're gonna get into it. Yeah, and this one's a bit wordy, um, but it's it's, it's definitely, definitely worth this the wait. It's a very very worthwhile story. Um, Mitch writes, I went to the game and actually met Spartan Ryan, the name is Lack, and Charles Bridge that day, two of whom I now live with, and the third one is one of my best friends. We were in the MSU section at the far end with ten seconds left and Michigan punting. I started to walk out. I got into the aisle as the play started. My head was hung, and then I heard the gasp. I look up and saw a mob of green and white heading toward the end zone. I see the play and I start freaking out. I run back up to my seat and start celebrating with everyone. We're jumping up and down and my, my glasses were actually knocked off my face and stepped on accidentally. I didn't care. I was too hyped. Once I settled down a bit, I literally started to cry with Sterner and we held each other sobbing. Now back to the glasses. I obviously needed new ones. My old ones were crushed and I couldn't see. I went to the eye doctor a few days later to get an exam and get new glasses. During the exam, he found an abnormal spot on the back of both of my eyes and referred me to a neurologist. He's actually the neurologist for the football team, Dr. Kaufman, for further tests. Turns out I had a weird uh, disease called pseudotumor syndrome, which only happens in 4% of men. Basically, my brain thought that I had a tumor that wasn't there. Had I not gone to that game and met the people I did, the pressure around my eyes could have permanently blinded me. The cure was kind of simple, I just had to lose weight. 
I started working at it and ended up dropping 60 pounds and all of the symptoms went away. So watching the greatest moment in Mountain Street Sports history literally saved my eyesight, changed my life, and made me some lifelong friends. Hashtag my trouble with the snap story. What an awesome way to end. That is an awesome way to end. And um, I'm so glad that that happened in the way it did for you. Yeah. And then it basically saved your life. Jalen Lott Jackson, hero. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a lot of uh, a lot of trouble with the snap stories, too. Obviously, that's probably one of the more iconic moments in Oh, in yeah. People memory. just wrote trouble with the snap. My dad, I asked my dad for one. I was hoping I'd get something really iconic. My dad goes, trouble with the snap. I was like, Dad, that's literally what everyone says. I need something else. Yeah. Um... Uh, you know, I do think that Jalen Watts Jackson being named Special Teams Player of the Week was a pretty good point there, too. But, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, so. So, yeah, that's how we're going to end that little section. I'm so thankful that everyone participated. Uh, we got some really amazing contributions this week. Mm-hmm. So, thank you, guys. That was really cool. Um, yeah, so, once again, just to reiterate our social media, Jason. I'm at Zero Dark Jason. And I'm at Tara Stafford. So, please... Continue to interact with us. Let us know what you think of the pod. Give us a rating on Apple, iTunes, whatever you so use. Sub to us on Spotify. Use your pl- podcasting platform of choice. Yeah, um, We're available subbing. on almost all of them now, so. Yeah. Most notably iTunes. Most notably iTunes. Give us a five star. Get, leave us a rating. Even if you hate us, leave me a rating. I want to read some good ones. I want to read some reviews, yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, guys. Awesome. We're going to catch you next week. We'll have a lot to talk about with the Seton Hall game. And uh, we're going to end right here. So we'll see you later. Go green. Go white.